Ice Theaters, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the Ice Theaters experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. Ice Theaters, meet us at CinemaCon with 2617A. We got hurt the last couple of weeks of December when, you know, a number of locations across the country, the main locations were shut down and plus we weren't allowed to sell concessions in our biggest market in Ontario and Quebec. So those were tough, you know, times because those are usually our busiest weeks of the year when you're looking at the last couple of weeks in December. And with Spider-Man, it was even harder because we took a big hit in the fact that the theaters weren't either open or they weren't serving food during that period of time. This is the Box Office Podcast in our daily CinemaCon edition brought to you by Ice Theaters. Today is Tuesday, April 26th, the second day of CinemaCon, and we are here in Las Vegas bringing you the latest. We will be going over everything that went down on the opening day of the event, and in our feature segment, we will be bringing you an interview with Ellis Jacob, the CEO of Cineplex, Canada's largest circuit and the fourth largest movie theater chain in North America. But let's jump right in with today's schedule here at CinemaCon 2022 in Las Vegas. The day starts early with one of those 7.45 a.m. panels. I don't know how people that don't cover this industry professionally make it to these early start times. I appreciate it. They're always interesting. No exception this year. We've got a panel on theatrical marketing with representatives from AMC, Warehouse Cinemas, Reading Cinemas, and Cinepolis USA joining us. Us. That is 7.45 a.m. at the Palace Ballrooms. And if you sleep in today, don't worry. We're going to be having highlights from that panel session on our Thursday episode here on the Box Office Podcast coming from CinemaCon. So you'll be able to catch up with those remarks later on this week with us. That is followed today at 9.15 a.m. over at the Coliseum with the State of the Industry Address by John Fithian, President and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners. That will be followed by Neon's studio presentation here. We'll be seeing some of the advanced looks we've got from one of the leading specialty distributors in the United States. That'll be an exciting moment. Another exciting moment here for people looking to upgrade their theaters is the opening of the trade show happening here in Vegas. That will be this afternoon. And capping off the day, we've got a 4 p.m. studio presentation from Warner Brothers, where they will be featuring highlights of their 2022 slate and beyond. The night here in Vegas ends with a screening at 8.30 p.m. We've got Universal Pictures showing us an advanced look at the Black Phone, one of the horror titles that they actually previewed at last year's edition of CinemaCon. It's going to be another packed schedule here, and I am alongside with our co-hosts, Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, Chief Editor at Box Office Pro. And we've got, again, a lot to talk about here as we jump right into our new segment discussing 
everything that went on yesterday. Sean, Rebecca, how are you guys feeling? It's day two. Are you guys still awake? Are you guys still with me? I'm going to say ish, and I'm, we're going to stick with ish. We're doing ish? We're doing ish. That's I fine. awake ish. I certainly was when the blinding lights at the end of Sony's presentation made sure everybody was That woke you up. It woke everybody up. Me up but... Yeah. Rebecca, we do have to start with the international day here at CinemaCon. It's my favorite bit of programming because we get to hear from all our colleagues all over the world. We get to learn things, best practices, things that worked, things that didn't. We didn't have an international day at CinemaCon 2021. Obviously, travel restrictions preventing a lot of these colleagues to make it over here in Las Vegas for the event. We did this year. The event started with Alejandro Ramirez Magaña, the CEO of Cinepolis, Mexico's largest circuit. What were some of the big takeaways that he mentioned that stood out for you, Rebecca? Well, I really enjoyed, you know, I, I believe it was Magaña who mentioned, you know, this is a CinemaCon, not as last year's was kind of in a shell shock state of trauma. It's about that recovery and it's not about bemoaning the state of the industry. It's about optimism. It's about what there is to look forward to. As yeah. we, obviously, we're going to go into the slates, but, you know, there was some some stuff that he said, though. I mean, we, we've spoken about it a lot before, how the pace of recovery changes from market to market. I mean, he, he mentioned that in the Latin American market, which is the slowest to recover at this point. Uh, yeah, He's I mean... Chile the- and Peru have been closed for 16 and 18 months, respectively. Like, my God, that puts some things into perspective. That's a huge amount of time. I mean, an unimaginable span, I think, for a lot of mature markets. It's really prevented the region from taking off. We saw that in the Motion Picture Association's theme report, how the LATAM region is really far behind in the global recovery. Some markets doing better than others. Mexico is recovering a little bit better, I think, mm-hmm. keeping up the pace. But yeah, it's slow. What we can say, and I think we all agree on this, we know this for a fact, is that big movies are keeping theaters open. I think that's the one sigh of relief, right? That we know can still work, that we didn't know last year. When we had these conversations last August, we were wondering, can blockbusters still exist? Will we get the pre-pandemic box office figures in 2021? And we did. It seemed bizarre at that time that we had Marvel movies going day and date. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. And now I think the lessons were learned. It reminds me, I had a conversation today with uh, Vincenzo Guzzo, the owner and uh, CEO of Cinemas Guzzo, the third largest circuit in Canada. And uh, he said something that I think really encapsulated how I uh, experienced this first day. He mentioned that there are Cinemacons where you come to listen and learn best practices And then there are cinema cons where you show up just to say, I told you so. And I think in large part, that's what today felt like. We heard that from Tom Rothman over at the Sony presentation. And I think there's a confidence in the sector today after we've seen blockbusters work that we didn't have last year. Now, that doesn't mean that there's, you know, an undue sense of confidence. I think there's a lot of big questions we have to answer. And a lot of that was explored in the, the International Day sessions, really. We, we, we were figuring that out, right? You can have theatrical hits. That's been proven. But the question here, I think, is encapsulated by something that Andrew Cripps said in one of those International Day panels. Andrew Cripps, 
heading international distribution for Warner Brothers. Rebecca, do you have that quote on hand? Yeah, he said, in a world where there are fewer movies, these movies have to work on a global basis. That ties us into what I saw as a big theme in uh, today's International Day programming, of course, piracy. You know, you've you've spoken with Charles Rifkin of of the MPA. It's something that they and NATO both have a a very strong, they have an eye on it, the exhibitors do. That is emerging to me as as a high priority subject for the CinemaCon, both because there's the I told you so angle of we can say now, if movies go day and date, piracy for those titles goes through the roof. And also as recovery varies from market to market, you know, it's going to continue to be a problem that has to be dealt with as we're recovering, thank goodness. Because it's not camcorder piracy, right? I mean, we're tracking this. Sean, you've seen the impact of piracy on releases in the past, and and we're seeing this happen now with pristine digital copies that open day and date, just that impact. Alejandro Ramirez Magaña from Cinepolis saying that according to one of these sites that that track piracy rates for films, the top pirated films of 2021, I think it was like the top 12, Mm -hmm. were exclusively titles that went day and date. So the longer the exclusivity window is for a movie, they're seeing it takes longer for that movie to pop up on piracy sites. That was a really interesting, like it was of the ones that went day and date, the vast majority ended up in the top 10 pirated films like that same day and one later that week. It was really, it was a really eye-opening bit of statistics there. I mean, I think it's it's definitely proven at this point what day and date does for piracy. You know what I thought was eye-opening in this is when Andrew Cripps, heading over international distribution at Warner Brothers, openly comments in a panel here on the decision to open Dune five weeks early in Europe before its day and date release in the United States. But they opened it in Europe in key markets five weeks before it opens day and date on HBO Max and uh, in theaters through Warner Brothers, specifically to take advantage of not having to deal with this pristine digital HBO Max copy running around. Andrew Cripps saying, hey, that was a concern. Not only was that a concern back then, Guys, when did the Batman hit HBO Max? When did that, you know, Sean? 45 days. It was a 45-day window for the Batman. Now that it's online, something that Andrew Cripps said over in Russia, that is, we know is not accepting any studio content right now. Right. So there is a strict embargo on Hollywood titles. There's an HBO Max pristine copy of Warner Brothers' The Batman floating around freely here it's in the bizarre. U.S. Like you said, they're screening the Batman in Russia. In now. Russian cinemas. I mean, it's incredible. Andrew Cripps basically saying, hey, they've got a copy from us and they're playing it in a market where we're not playing the film. Christine, subtitles in any language you can think <laughs> of. Yeah, I think it's a big concern. And it's one of those things, again, to echo what Vincenzo Guzzo was, was saying when, when I spoke with him earlier today, it's that I told you so moment. And to be fair, I think a lot of the people that actually work in distribution get that. Do the people working above the distribution departments get that? I, I'm not so sure. And that's that very uncomfortable position that, that we're in in this industry, that there are decisions being made over the heads of filmmakers, Mm -hmm. over the heads of theatrical distribution departments. And that's something that Denis Villeneuve, who phoned in from Budapest, where he's in pre-production, I believe, for Mm -hmm. Dune 2, that's something he brought up. He said that as a filmmaker, he wishes he had more contact, more direct contact with exhibitors 
and a say in the distribution strategy to a pure, for his films. Pure middleman, and I, I firmly, I mean, it, I feel like if you're a director who, as you should be, I think, or you know, should is a strong word, and my therapist <laughs> tells me not to use it, but what have you, <laughs> um, you know, if you are interested in how your film is, is screened. You would, I mean, I can understand where Villeneuve was coming for them. He wants to have that input and that say. That said, I mean, obviously these studios are gigantic machines, but I mean... Gigantic machines owned by phone companies, in the case of Warner Brothers. Echoing what Villeneuve was saying in that he would love, as a filmmaker, to have a bigger say in how his titles are released, in speaking with exhibitors. Realistically, Sean, how many filmmakers could have that pull, period? It's Nolan, it's... Villeneuve, well, not really Villeneuve because he tried to have a say. They did yeah. it anyway. It, yeah. Who gets to say that? It's very few. It's, a, it's an elite club. It. Spielberg. Scorsese. Spurs, Tom yeah. Cruise is Tarantino. a star. Tarantino. I think yeah. Tom Cruise is a star for Paramount. But we're even at the point where guys like Tom Hanks don't have that. Clearly yeah. He had two relatively high-profile movies go to streaming last year. And mm-hmm. I think he's he's kind of he's part of that generation of actors that probably won't have as much say going forward. It's going to come down to the filmmakers. Because they're no longer theatrical properties. These are multimedia properties. Mm -hmm. We're no longer in the generation of the auteur, of the filmmaker, of the star director, of the star. There are very few of those left. We're in the generation of the IP. And the IP is a multi-platform strategy that doesn't exclusively exist in the domain of cinemas. So yeah, I completely understand what Villeneuve is saying. I want it to be true. But the reality of this industry, unfortunately, I hate to say it, guys, it's not anywhere near what we'd like it to be. Well, Denis Villeneuve also, also had a moment that the entire like audience of this panel burst into applause afterwards where he said, we know the windows need to go back to being longer. They need to be longer. If you want to be a part of the zeitgeist, if you want to be a part of the cultural conversation, you need to have to go see that film in theaters. And, yeah. you know, I think we're, we're not going back to longer windows at this point, past the 30, 45 Well, you know, in maybe. Warner Brothers' case, they went from well, zero to 45. Well, so that was, you know, I don't think we're yeah. going go to go to 45 <laughs> to 90. But I don't know. I mean, in the big picture of things, let's take an example that, that happened recently. Did any of us expect Spider-Man No Way Home to have the legs it did. Sean, it hit digital not that long ago. I mean, that's a case where how much longer could it have gone exclusive theatrical? Would it made a difference, honestly? It's hard to say. And I think Sony is going to be one of those studios that wants to test that to its limits because 88 days theatrically exclusive, that's essentially an old school pre-pandemic run. That's as good as you're going to get. I'm sorry. I I think at this point, that's the reality we have to face. And that was the second or third biggest movie of all time. And that's what it's going to take. saying at the studio presentation that like their their EST electronic sell-through, electronic sell-through? Yeah, it's electronic sell-through, yeah. (laughs) That was even like, it didn't hurt that. Yeah component that downstream and that just really goes to show how a successful movie snowballs success the more popular it is over time the more it gets people talking and interested in it months after release whereas you're a flash in the pan if you're day and date it's so tough but okay we can make the argument for spider-man and the spider-man of the world to have a 90-day window and i'm glad i do hope we see more of that but when it comes to the big question, I think, that this industry is facing right now, which is what happens between these big tent poles? Where's the habitual movie going? Where's it been? You know, is it going to come back? Are we going to see more of a presence from titles that maybe don't have people in capes flying around talking animals? <laughs> we need to see those 
come back up. In Europe, something that uh, the CEO of Unique, which is the European Trade Association for Movie Theaters, Laura Ulgat-Abbott, what she was saying in her presentation this morning at International Day, I think was very telling, that Europe has been able to weather this very difficult tentpole-centric box office that we're seeing post-pandemic by filling in the gaps of the Hollywood release schedule with local films. And they've seen progress over the last year with two exceptions. And those two exceptions are markets where the local film industries couldn't keep up with a pace of production because of the disruption of the pandemic. That's Italy and that's Turkey. Two markets that Laura Ulgat singles out as the only two in Europe that were down in 2021 compared to that 2020 box office because of the lack of local titles. I would argue that the United States is having a very similar problem in that we don't have the equivalent to a local film, which is a mid-range title, which is a domestic heavy film, say a movie about a football quarterback or you know something similar to something that's original <clears throat> IP potentially. Now, yeah, not that appeals to the domestic audiences. It's going to hit your fifty to eighty million. We don't have that yet. We've seen some Channing Tatum movies, Sean, that, that are yeah. getting there, which is fine. Yeah, we need more of that. Right, we need more of that. That was a question that there was a panel session today, but that blockbusters or bust session, that panel session this morning, had some interesting insights. Rebecca, from your end, what really stood out from that panel? conversation where you had Steve Nibbs, the COO of View International. You have Sarah Luthwaite from Movio, which is a data analytics firm, one of the, the leading data analytics firms in this industry. They're going in and they're talking about how to optimize diverse content for different demographics. What were your takeaways from that session, Rebecca? Well, and forgive me, Daniel, for jumping around the, the schedule here a little bit, but you know, it brought up to me a lot of the same issues that were brought up in a panel later on that day on e-gaming, which is basically an issue of filling screen space. You know, you have yeah. you have 10 screens, you have a 16plex, 18plex, 20plex. It's inventory. Those screens it's, are inventory. It's inventory. And you yeah. have you have the Batman, you know, having having a shorter window than before, leaving screens shorter, you know, earlier than before. You have to have that diversity of content. And at the same time, Daniel, I mean, at a certain point, and I don't mean this harshly, and I'm certainly not saying that we're there at this point, but like at a certain point, we're going to have to stop blaming the pandemic right. for we're going to have to own up for demographics yeah. not quote unquote not coming back to the movies. At like, a certain they point, are, it's or, or you're not, or they're not screening content, or they're not making content that these audiences want to see. Yeah, and I think that's something that the industry is still figuring out. You know, I think part of that challenge, and one of the things I, I wish that panel session would have focused a little bit more on, is engaging the moviegoer that isn't coming back. Not the frequent moviegoer and making sure that they come back just and as it's much. A, it's an opportunity to, to reassess the situation and say, people that we couldn't get regularly before COVID, how do we get them now? How do you get them now? And that's, that's a great opportunity. And I think one that a lot of folks are trying to figure out, Sarah Luthwaite from Movio, actually, because I, I asked this question in the Q&A part of the panel, Sarah Luthwaite from Movio coming up with a really good answer, I thought, I'm going to quote her here. She said that when I asked about people over 50 and how do you get them to come back? How are you targeting them? What are you doing to ensure that your over 50 audience feels comfortable to come back and has the content to come back to? She said, 
that someone's past frequency and past behavior is actually an indicator on their speed to return to the cinema, a better indicator on their speed to return to the cinema than their demographics. Basically what she's saying is that the data that Movio is getting backs up the assertion that it's not demographics, it's frequent moviegoers and infrequent moviegoers. Age doesn't have as much to do with it because the people that were always going to come back, the people that always went are the first ones to have resumed that movie-going habit. Was it the exhibitor from VU International? Uh, VU International? Uh, Steve Nibbs, yeah. Steve Nibbs, oh, he was like, we need more family content and we need it now. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and we saw it last weekend, Sean, at right. the box office. We didn't expect the bad guys to break anywhere near the top three. I mean, how do you assess yeah. that $24 million in light of what Steve Nibbs here from VU is saying in terms of if you give me family content, it's going to sell. Yeah, it, well, it's proven that twice now in the last month with Bad Guys and Sonic. And that's it speaks to the content aspect. And like you said, Rebecca, eventually we have to get point to a point where we're looking past the pandemic and what mm -hmm. what's really playing into audiences coming back or not coming back. And we're going to see that in full force this summer with full slate of family movies that are coming out. We're going to have even more high profile content than the Bad Guys, which overperformed to a significant degree and it's not going to have a lot of competition so there's room for it to keep playing for a while yeah and the last the last animated title that could have made an impact was sing 2 from universal right. let's not forget what happened there exhibition didn't see this one coming yep. they were promised an exclusivity window nobody gave them a heads up when universal <laughs> said hey listen we're gonna cut that short yeah. we're gonna go digital on this you never know what surprises around the corner but hopefully now that the COVID is less of a concern still a concern we won't have that being derailed well Sean, when you talk about what brings people to the movies and what fails to bring people to the movies i mean we've, we've talked about one p the piracy and the yeah. second one that was the the big point today Premium, premium large format. Premium large PRs. format. We, I mean, we talk about it all the time. Was... Are, are people tired of us talking about premium large format? Well, it's an interesting subject. I mean, we're all talking about because we talk about premium large format because exhibitors ask us about premium large format. And these are the format. conversations and I'm hearing it and, and stuff that we've spoken about before. Like you say premium large format to someone on the street, they don't know what you're talking about. No, like, yeah. They can't distinguish a proprietary you know, format from something that's third party. But, but I think they can distinguish a standard auditorium from a premium yes, auditorium. Yes, they can. And they I think can, we're seeing really that. Yeah. I mean, Sean, you, you've been tracking this industry for a number of years now. How recent is this trend where you're seeing PLF just take an impressive market share and number of headlines on opening weekend and beyond? It's steadily built over the years, and I think we can attribute that to the number of movies that were shot in IMAX and advertised as see it in IMAX for the past decade or so. But now we've seen other formats like Dolby, RPX, Dine-ins, I think, are, you know, it's not necessarily... It's an experience. It is an experience. It's an experience, and that's yeah. what's being sold. It's it's something you can't duplicate at home. Right. That's what it comes down to for a lot of average moviegoers going to a theater right now. And I think since the pandemic, and we've talked about it quite a bit here, when you have your television at home, it's very comfortable, but you're going to want to have an upgrade. Even if you have a really nice TV at home, you're going to want an upgrade from that really nice TV. Right. And we're seeing audiences willingly pay extra money to see something, usually in the first 10 to 12 days of release, in a premium format. Something Andrew Cripps from Warner Brothers, uh, something he said during his panel session was that 38% of Dune's opening weekend, I think here in North America, was on PLF. 
Just just step back on that for a second. This is a movie that's over available a, at home. Over a third of the right. people You can like, watch it. Crazy. You can watch it for like 8 bucks on HBO Max. That's fine. But people willingly paid a premium to watch it in a diversity of PLF formats. And that's, I think, a lot of the momentum of why we're talking about this topic so much. And it's not just IMAX. I mean, that's obviously, like as you said, I mean, that's IMAX is a brand. They're the pioneer. They're the pioneer. They're, yeah, they're right, the brand. Right. But I mean, when you look at it, it was Ice Theaters, who we, we've heard from earlier in this episode, or we'll hear from them later. Time has no meaning anymore. <laughs> no, we're going to, we heard, we heard, a, <laughs> we heard from them last an week. ad read. We heard from, uh, we, we did hear from Ice Theaters last week, last week's Thursday episode. That's we right. have them sponsoring this podcast. Yes. We thank them. They but, introduced the, the gaming panel and, and yeah. brought up not just Dune, but films like No Time to Die. It's a multitude of films that do really good market share, specifically in this premium format, Ice Theaters. And talking about premium formats and our friends at Ice Theaters, it's one of the big press releases we got today. In the in the world of like deals, of press releases that we get, we get a lot of them, not all of them really break through. One of them that did is Ice Theaters, that immersive premium large format coming out of France, developed by an exhibitor, going out to different theaters across the world. They actually just signed a new client. They're going to be premiering their new location in Estonia. And that's a great example of an emerging market going premium and adopting this technology. So you're not only seeing it in mature markets like the US, but in the Baltic region, a new PLF player like Ice Theaters is seeing traction there. And it's something I think that's gonna continue. They're not the only game in town. There are a couple of PLF concepts that are gonna be vying for exhibitors CapEx in the coming weeks. We're gonna learn a lot about that this week. And, and even outside of, of PLF, Daniel, I mean, apologies for the plagiarism, I'm borrowing your phrasing. I mean, there's the, well, borrowing your phrasing, I'm stealing your phrasing. There's the above standard form of showing a film, but then there's also just raising the floor on the quote-unquote standard movie going experience. Really, like improving it, raising the bar. Just raising the bar just in a general sense. And I mean, I immediately go to, again, one of the the news items that kind of broke through, Cineonic signing a deal with AMC to upgrade half of that circuit's theaters in North America to Laser. I mean, I... As just as a movie goer, as a movie fan, I'm like, yes, bring it, laser. You know what? You know what an important <laughs> yeah. part of that is, guys, is that what Cineonic as a tech provider has been able to do is not only get these big deals and having folks upgrade to their flagship laser, which is your PLF auditorium. They have a, a solution called Giant Screen for that, but they're also going big on just upgrading the standard auditorium with a laser projector. And you're seeing that in more and more circuits. That's what we're seeing with AMC now, committing the biggest investment they've made in technology since they went digital in the late 2000s. That's a big move and it's happening in a way that they're prioritizing their standard auditorium. That reminds me of something that uh, Tim Richards said. The, he's the CEO of View International. He said this at Cine Europe in Barcelona last year, that PLF is great. PLF plays such a big role in new releases on opening weekend, but it's not a 365 day a year business. Right. It's not gonna sell on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday. And we're seeing shifting strategies there. We've seen IMAX recognize that and program event cinema titles and concerts and documentaries in the IMAX format on off-peak days. And they're actually doing pretty good as an event cinema provider. We didn't see that coming. And the other thing we're seeing is an investment 
in making sure that that standard auditorium is better. And that means recliner seating and also better projection technology. What Cineonic is doing with AMC and also with Cinemark, so with the number one and number three circuits in North America, is not only upgrading that standard auditorium, but doing a consumer-facing marketing campaign on marketing laser as an amenity. Which, marketing projection as an amenity. I mean, we, we've heard it here today at CinemaCon, and we've heard it before. It, it's certainly true, and I don't mean to discount it, but like that cinema is the most affordable out-of-home, you know, family entertainment. That said, I mean, if, if you got a family of five, say, you're talking tickets and concessions, it's still not cheap. No, yeah. So if, a fa- if you want a family to commit to going out on a regular basis, and that's a key point, like regularly, and not just a special occasion, you have to justify price point you got to keep up and it's i think it's very interesting for exhibitors like amc that have discount days there's a lot of exhibitors we always talk about tickets always being more expensive premiums a lot of exhibitors have subscription that brings that ticket price down or will have discount days or five dollar days or two for one days and making sure that that discount experience is still premium and is still much better than what you have at home is great i know it's a tough sell you know, when you hear laser at the movie theaters, it's you think Star Wars, right? I mean, obviously. I mean, that that's a plus. That's, that's, yeah, that's a plus. <laughs> that's, but, but let's not forget what happened in the home entertainment marketplace where we started talking about HDTV and 4K. These are marketing terms now. They were techie terms eight, 10 years ago. But today, consumers know what 4K means. They know what that is. And I think what we're seeing is standard cinema technology getting upgraded to the point where consumers hopefully will start recognizing and seeking out laser projection, immersive audio, or even premium seating. Now, I'm sure, Daniel, these topics are going to, to be coming a lot and are going to be explored in depth over the coming days. That said, I mean, that's only one one part of CinemaCon. The other part, the part that, let's say CinemaCon After Dark, maybe, the studio <laughs> presentations. No, we don't get to talk about CinemaCon that part. There, there's, there's an in-between part before that starts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, I mean, we started today. It felt appropriate that we kicked off. The first studio presentation was, was Sony. I mean, my God, speaking of a victory lap, that was a victory lap. Oh, that was an I told you so. Before, I'm, I'm, yeah. checking, I'm checking the email. Right before Sony started, <laughs> we had release date changes from a different studio. That Yeah, that actually kind of changed what? the mood. Sean, yeah. Oh. Well, can we <laughs> yeah. go into that? What happened? I think, well, I think for starters, we saw Universal delaying Mario to next year, and that's to get out ahead of their presentation in a couple of days. They don't want to come out here at CinemaCon this year with bad news during their presentation like that. So yeah. get that out of the way. Let's focus on their whole slate, so to, knowing that's going to, clear, to be a To clarify, we're talking, uh, the Mario movie got delayed from December 21st of this year to April 7th right. of next. So. And that, that and that's, that's a gap, guys. That's, that's a gap. That, yeah, that's Christmas weekend. I'm, and they do they push the Puss in Boots movie to that Christmas, but that takes that movie out of the from October. September to September. December, and like yeah. when we yeah. need more kids movies yeah. in the next. So, now so let's let's talk about that, Sean. Like, what yeah. what do those changes in these animated titles mean for the marketplace? Because we had a gap in Christmas that's changed. I'm not sure it's the same earning potential for Puss in Boots that it was for uh, for the Spider-Man, animated Spider-Man. 
and then now we have a gap in the fall. What's the impact here? Yeah, the impact is notable, especially now that we are seeing families coming back with the, the bad guys. I think now Sony, interestingly, still has Lyle Lyle Crocodile in October. That's going to be the family movie between the end of summer and November. <laughs> but yeah, that does create a gap in, right. in what we were expecting to be a strong fall, a strong winter. Yeah. How much of a disappointment is that it, coming into Q3 it's a and Q4? Hit. Now, you know, let's never say never. This is a week known for a lot of release changes. Maybe we get some good ones. Maybe yeah. some family movie sneaks in there. We never know. There is an opportunity to be had there, though. And, you know, reality is studios are probably going to come out of the summer just in case thinking, what if there's another variant during flu season? What if this is a seasonal release calendar for the next year or Can two? Can someone knock on wood? Stop it, man. No, <laughs> no, we don't We it's don't a, want that, but it's a reality where that, we're at. Yeah. So, Sean, what did we see from the rest of the Sony presentation? We saw a lot. We saw how much a full a full reel of Bullet Train, which... I was really getting into it. And then, yeah. and then, and then they, yeah. they stopped it. To, and I'm like, as happy as I was to see the first 15 minutes of Into the Spider-Verse of... Like, I'm like, oh, I wanted to see the Bullet Train. <laughs> yeah, Bullet Train, I mean, that was yeah. a highlight, right? We yeah. had a good time. The, the crowd Absolutely. reacted positively. This is a title that we first saw at CinemaCon last year. I mean, we Brad, didn't want Brad to be... Pitt is like a hippie, like, uh, you know, peace and love man, like career criminal. That that just seems like That's he great. was born. But yeah. we, we, couldn't, we couldn't see another trailer. That's why I'm glad they showed the first reel right. of Bullet Train. They couldn't show up with the same trailer they showed us last year, or even a different one. So I think it was well-received from exhibitors. It was disappointing to, to cut it short, <laughs> but uh, but that actually led us to Where the Crawdads Sing, a title, when is that coming out? Is that soon, right, that's May? summer title. Yeah, summer title? Uh, it's original IP, it's based on a book that, you know, every, every trailer says based on a worldwide phenomenon, but it's based on an extremely popular book. You know, I was getting Jeff Nichols, you know, mud vibes from it. It got a little, you know, a little it's Southern gothic yeah. I love my Southern Southern Gothic stuff, so I'm down. <laughs> what did you think of that, Try. I think it looks great. That's that's one of the, it's another one of those movies, I think, even though it is based on a property, it's the kind of mid-range movie we need to see more of coming back. Especially, and then Summertime has always been a good title. I think of movies like The Notebook, yeah. adaptations like that, that have done really well that time of year. And that's something that I believe that Tom Rockman said. He's like, we got a lot of the superhero movies. We have superheroes, we have sequels made a specific point of saying in addition to the upcoming Marvel titles that are going to, you know, be on the Sony slate, which which we'll discuss, you know, it's important that they keep that original IP yeah. going. And then talking about original movies, we've got a title called The Woman King scheduled for September 16th. They showed some footage of this one. This looked pretty good. For me, this was a surprise mm. of the yes. presentation. What were your reactions? I thought it looked great. I mean, if you want to see Viola Davis as a complete badass, then you're going to get it. <laughs> as, I mean, as we were leaving, you know, the conversations that happened, the chatter and, and what I was yeah, listening you, to. In, in that escalator as you leave the was, Coliseum. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, Viola Davis was here. Like, it was it was like her presence. She's so charismatic. Her presence. She's just like. That escalator chatter, I think, is the first buzz yeah. that mm -hmm. we get for a movie. It's, it's always a good sign as you're leaving CinemaCon. What are people talking about in that escalator? We've got a very interesting title coming out, and I really hope audiences support it. It looks great. I know I'll be there on opening weekend. Another title that looked interesting, and when we tweeted out this news, we got actually quite a bit of engagement on social media, which tells me something. Sony announcing the casting of a musician named Bad Bunny. He has been cast as El Muerto which is apparently the first Latin American character 
to lead a Marvel live action movie. That movie coming out from Sony on January 12th, 2024, Mr. Bunny actually showing up on stage and, Making uh, his feature film debut in Bullet Train. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we, we'd seen him on, on screen, and then we saw him on stage. And listen, this guy, I don't know who he is, but a lot of people do. He's got a great following. You know who nobody knows is this El Muerto guy. I've never heard of this character in my life, but I will say this. When this title was announced in the presentation, I immediately thought back of what Fernando Rodriguez, the, the CEO of Marcus Theaters, has told me on several occasions whenever I've interviewed him. Just the potential of a Latin American superhero in this marketplace. I mean, it's a demographic that yeah. over-indexes when it comes to admissions. Yes. The Bad Guys is a great example of that. Over Absolutely. Over 30% of its audience. Hispanic moviegoers. Exactly. Such potential. And there are audiences that, that are willing and, and excited to see this. The question now is, are they going to be excited to see this El Muerto guy, which actually translates to the dead guy? He's a son of a he's a son of a luchador. That's what I caught from the presentation. And Fair I like, enough. I like luchadors. We all do. <laughs> we, we all do. But I think the draw here isn't El Muerto. I think it's Bad Bunny. I think Bad Bunny, this is a star vehicle and it either launches a career or, uh, or it doesn't work, to be perfectly honest. I think that's the stakes for this film. And, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't really expecting us to see the social media engagement on this announcement that we did see when we put it out there. We'll find out more in January 2024. Something we, we certainly uh, expected people to be excited about. Something I, I saw people like asking you on Twitter about it, like, Earlier today, Spider-Man, I incorrectly called it Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That is mm, obviously- That's the last one. That is yeah. the last one. Get it right. It is the, uh, it's an impeccable film. I'm at a loss of words. But we did have some information, not only some information, but the first 15 minutes of Across the Spider-Verse, previously yeah. titled Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. They dropped the Part 1. Uh, they're just like, the third one will be Beyond the Spider-Verse. <laughs> I like that. That's cleaner. Yeah. I love that footage. I mean, it was, it was nowhere close to, so, to yeah. done. For our listeners, lovely. we saw 15 minutes of the animated Spider-Man sequel from uh, Lord and Miller, who actually showed up on stage in person. Did a whole bit. A nice bit. I like a bit. We all like bits, right? We haven't seen that in like a while. A little showmanship goes a long way. Yeah, showmanship does go a long way. So 15 minutes of this title, scheduled now for June 2nd, 2023. They titled the sequel. That's scheduled for Easter 2024. Sean, you've now seen 15 minutes of Across the Spider-Verse. What's your reaction? I think the fact that any movie that's incomplete, especially animated, as it naturally has to be, that can get people that excited, that interested, that that tells you something. Yep. And showing it to this audience in particular, this is an industry audience. They they understand that this footage is not complete, but you can still, at least I personally, from that footage, there was a very clear emotional through line that is going to carry on from the first movie and probably even expand from the first movie. And I think that's going to keep fans excited. Yeah, I'm super excited. I mean, they made the point it's going to be bigger, more characters, more universes. Uh, they broke the record that they set on the most people yeah. working on an animated film like ever. And, I mean, that the first one was such a pleasant surprise. I mean, it, it feels foolish to predict anything that's going to happen with these second two films when we're that far out. I'm just, there's 15 a lot minutes of looked amazing. Oh, yeah. my, my hopes a are A lot high. of goodwill. I think critically, there's a lot of goodwill from audiences. A lot of us are excited. This was on my bucket list of something I'd like to see. I can check it off now. I'm happy. That's uh, that's going to be a, a nice plus to think back on. We also saw a lot of quick hit 
footage in a sizzle reel. Um, I was typing, so I don't know what happened. I probably missed like five title announcements. Can you guys fill me in? What looked good in that sizzle reel? So a lot of it was a summarization of footage we saw from Bullet Train and, and Woman King and other films coming out this year. But we did get first looks at A Man Called Otto with Tom yeah. Hanks which looks like it could be a potential crowd pleaser. I think around the holidays, very funny scene that they showed with him. Very quick clips of some of the upcoming Marvel movies, Craven the Hunter, which is out next year. Madame uh, Webb. Madame Webb. Uh, Dakota Johnson. Yeah. And the 65 sci-fi movie with Adam Driver. We saw a little bit of that. And brief confirmations of the continuation of Ghostbusters and Venom, but nothing else. Just there will be next installments. Like title cards, basically? Yeah, yeah. it didn't even include, it was just the original title card of Ghostbusters and the original title card of Venom. Continue, we're going to keep doing that. Right. But the final thing that came up in the Sony presentation, there was, I don't know if you, you guys heard, there was someone in the press area who was super excited, super like, oh my gosh, and I thought it might be you. I, I promise you guys it wasn't me. I was very excited. But no, I was not the man in the Coliseum cheering enthusiastically at the first look of footage of the George Foreman biopic. That doesn't mean I was very excited. I wasn't very excited because I was very excited. I'm very, very happy we saw that. This is a biopic of the two-time world heavyweight champion and Famous grill salesman, Reverend George Foreman. I, when is it coming out? Do we have a release date for it? I don't think, did they even share a title? I, I'm not even sure. I mean, it was an early look. No one's looked at this I mean, footage. Like it's like halfway yeah. filmed at this point. It's like a boxing literal. movie. It's George Foreman. Who doesn't love George Foreman? I was very happy. There was a man in the audience that was even happier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys aren't boxing fans. I mean, what's your objective take on something like this? I like sports movies more than I like sports, so if it's a good sports movie, I'm there. You're in, yeah. <laughs> Same. I mean, this is, this is, I think, one of those stories of a real person that's going to intrigue a lot of people. It could be a, a crowd pleaser. It could be a motivational mm-hmm. kind of move, something that sports dramas do really well. And here's, here's an angle on this. If done correctly, this is a faith-based movie. Yes. George Foreman is, uh, has such an interesting life story. If they pull this movie off the way they could, maybe the way they should, this is going to be a faith-based hit. Yep. But it's all in the execution. It's way too early for us to tell based on what we saw. It's a fascinating life story. I'm really excited for it. That's another little surprise that I walked away this presentation on. But uh, yeah, a lot to look forward to from Sony. Sean, Rebecca, thank you so much for this uh, big news recap of our first day here at CinemaCon. We'll be back with more news and insights tomorrow. And coming up, in this episode, we've got a quick message from an advertiser. Following that, we've got Ellis Jacob, CEO of Cineplex, the largest movie theater circuit in Canada, the fourth largest in the North American market. Rebecca Pauly interviews Ellis Jacob about everything going on in the post-pandemic atmosphere for Canadian cinemas. That's coming up after this message from our sponsor. Movies, popcorn, sparkle, and jobs. The Prospector Theatre is on a mission to create competitive and integrated employment for people with disabilities through the operation of a first-run movie theatre in Ridgefield, Connecticut. The 501c3 nonprofit works hard every day to demonstrate the value that adults with disabilities add to the workforce and bottom line. 
The recent launch of their online gourmet popcorn shop is the latest example of how Prospector's model can be adapted to businesses of every industry and size. Visit prospectortheater.org to learn more, purchase gourmet popcorn, or discover how your business can partner with a prospector to create competitive and integrated employment. Thank you so much for joining us, Ellis, as we look forward to the second CinemaCon to take place since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. These last few years have really made it very clear how important it is for a circuit to diversify its offerings, whether that's on the program side with things like local cinema, event cinema, international cinema, on top of the traditional Hollywood tentpoles. Or that diversification can also take place on the operational side, like with dine-in and family entertainment centers. Even pre-pandemic, it seems like Cineplex particularly invested in those forms of diversification and realized their importance. Yes, we did. And I'll address your question in two pieces. First, actually, in the cinema itself, we have continued to evolve the experience and we are very focused on being a leader when it comes to non-Hollywood films, if they are Canadian films or if they are films from other parts of the world, we are a very diverse community and we have been the leader in North America in Hindi, Punjabi, Chinese and Filipino films. And to me that's really important in bringing the films to our audiences. And in addition to that, we have event cinemas. So those are all positives. And as you asked me about diversification, we continue to look at strategies where we can create an entertainment event for our guests. So it's really more than just movies. It's about getting the benefit of entertainment centers, which we call the rec rooms and palladiums. And they have done extremely well for us. And it really becomes eats an entertainment for our guests all the way through. And it's owning our ecosystem that becomes important. And in Canada so far, we've got 10 locations of the rec room and three locations of palladium. Then we continue to look at other alternatives. And further to that, we've come up with a new concept called a junction. And there it's going to be a concept where it's going to be a movie theater, a dining destination, and an entertainment complex all in one. So it's about sharing experiences. And uh, how have the recovery of those various entertainment centers run by Cineplex been compared to your more traditional cinemas? Well, the difference in the rec room is there's gaming areas and there's eating areas, and there were restrictions in both areas of that business. The business is coming back nicely, but the big piece that you do well in in the month of November, December, and January is the group participation in events and other holiday parties and things like that. And that was a bit held back because of COVID. So we are seeing that starting to improve now, but we took a little bit of a dip as a result of it. Success in reaching a niche corner of the market, like, for example, with Bollywood or Punjabi films, that does not come overnight. What as Cineplex did you have to do to build up that awareness and interest over time, thus letting audiences know that Cineplex provided them with those entertainment options? Uh, we have seen some strong numbers from our uh, Punjabi and Hindi uh, films in Canada, and we are some of the highest grosses in North America when it comes to these diverse films. And part of the learning that we've had is we have our scene loyalty program, which basically allows us and helps us 
in understanding by theater what movies are working and which guests are coming to those movies. So it's a really, really strong tool in being able to program each individual location in the content that works the best. And there are some cinemas today, like we've had, where the Bollywood product outgrosses the Hollywood product. There's a number of locations, you know, across the country, but you have to know where it is and how to program it. And our loyalty program allows us to do that because we know who's coming to see which movie. Cineplex's loyalty program is really one of the most successful cinema loyalty programs in the world, just in terms of sheer market share in Canada. That loyalty plan was recently retooled with your Scene Plus plan. Can you walk us a bit through that loyalty program and how it has evolved? Yes, yeah, so we have a long relationship with Scotiabank, and back in 2007, we launched the loyalty program, which is called Scene. And the program continued to gain traction, and we had a market share of close to 40% of households across the country were part of this loyalty program. And it gives you great data, and that data can be used for a, a lot of different things in improving the business and communicating with our uh, guests on an ongoing basis. So it allows us to unlock a lot of value. Now, Scene Plus has just been launched, and what happened there is it's basically taking the Canadian Scene program and launching it with Scotia Rewards. So now Scene Plus members can get the benefits of movies, entertainment, dining, but they can also get travel, shopping, banking, and other options that they didn't have previously. So it's going to be a very, very strong program as we move forward. Thanks to our relationship with uh, Scotiabank, we were able to merge the two programs together with the Scotia Rewards and Scene to create Scene Plus, which provides our guests with many, many options that they didn't have before. So it becomes a very strong program as we move forward into the future. Now, something else that Cineplex has launched over the last year is Cine Club, your first subscription program. Now, MoviePass didn't exist in Canada, so for most of the Canadian public, most of your audience members, this is the first cinema subscription plan that they're able to subscribe to. What's been the process of raising awareness and interest in the plan, especially given that it launched when the flow of movies into theaters was, let's say, somewhat sporadic? Yeah, so we launched a program in August of 2021 and basically gives our guests the ability to enjoy our theaters at a fair price, our location-based entertainment venues, and the Cineplex store. And it's basically a monthly amount, but if you don't go to the movie, you don't lose the benefits. You can carry it forward, and you can also use the program to bring, you know, a guest with you at the same price. There are certain rules, but at the end of the day, it's a huge benefit. And the reason we did it is we wanted to build habitual movie going again and made sure that it was a no-risk proposition for our guests. We want our guests to get out of their homes and reconnect with family and friends. And again, we offer so many different ways to watch movies in our theaters, you know, from our Ultra AVX, which is our PLFs, to our uh, VIP locations, to ScreenX, to 40X, and uh, we've got a lot of choices, IMAX. So 
you can come and see a movie in many, many different ways in the cinemas. And that to me is really important because you cannot replicate those experiences at home. We've spoken about Cineplex's diversification, both in terms of programming and the sorts of entertainment centers slash cinemas that it operates, and the sorts of theaters slash entertainment centers, et cetera, that it operates. But just as you diversified in your B2C business, you've also diversified on a B2B level with your Cineplex digital media, digital signage company, which has been part of the Cineplex family for some time now, going back to 1998, is that correct? Yeah, it's been a very good business for us and it basically expands our marketing and our media ability. Because we do own the media company, we haven't diversified it away like in the U.S. where a number of them, you know, got together and created NCM. In Canada, we basically have that company and it's part of Cineplex. And now with the digital side, we can put out many millions of impressions right across the ecosystem from in the theater to shopping malls to banks to all kinds of different places to retail branded locations. So there's a lot of touch points that, you know, this allows us to have. Are there benefits, do you find, as an exhibitor to being a vendor as well? Does that give you any additional insights, let's say, into the industry? Yeah, but the benefit of that is, for example, if you're a studio, we can help you and basically market your movie right across in all of these different channels. And we can also do that with our guests for anything that we want to market or, or specialize with. And it also allows us to communicate with, because we have this business, which is the gaming business, which is called Player One Amusement Gaming. And we supply games to not just Cineplex, but to uh, some of our peers in the U.S. We supply it to many games facilities right across North America. And to me, that business, it's all of our interactivity and making the awareness levels higher so people can come and enjoy those experiences. I think the most important message I like to get out is that our business is going to be strong and it's going to continue to be an important and integral part of the social experience of guests around the world. So I think the important thing is to remember that the business is going to continue to be there and it'll come back as the content is there and our guests feel comfortable in our locations and locations around the world. Ellis, thank you again so much for joining us and congratulations on your Nina Marquis Award. It is definitely well-deserved. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And that's it for today's episode of the Box Office Podcast from CinemaCon, brought to you by Ice Theatres. Thanks again to our guest, Ellis Jacob, CEO of Cineplex and the recipient of the 2022 NATO Marquee Award. On behalf of myself and our co-hosts, Rebecca Polly and Sean Robbins, Thanks again for listening. We're back with another episode tomorrow. We've got Sean Gamble, the CEO of Cinemark, the third largest circuit in North America. He'll be joining us to talk about the value of theatrical exclusivity and his experience as a circuit working with streamers like Netflix, bringing those movies 
to the big screen. That is on Wednesday's episode of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro, the box office company, and Record Edit Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review us. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.